Matthew 21. Matthew 21, being Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday stuff, namely the triumphal entry and that which we commemorate and celebrate on this day. Matthew 21, we will read the first 11 verses together. It says, And when they had approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus and the disciples, and had come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. That's so fun that they got to do that. Don't you wish the Lord would do that to you? Hey, go get that. If anybody messes with you, just tell them the Lord has need of it. I love that. Verse 4. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. A quote of Zechariah 9.9 there. Verse 6. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their garments on them, on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful historical account before us of your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Lord, we would ask that in a wonderful and unique way, you would make a triumphal entry into this community at this moment in history. That even today, King of Glory, you would enter in. We just want to see this coastline be yours, Lord. We're done with the things of the world and the things of the enemy. We just want to see you ruling and reigning on this coastline. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make a triumphal entry and that you would start today with our hearts, that you would enter triumphantly into each of our lives. For those that don't know you, that you would enter in as Lord and Savior and King. For those of us that already know you, that you would enter in as Lord, truly ruling and reigning over our lives, that today we would surrender to you. And so, Jesus, we really want to see in this Bible study today your glory your beauty, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your power, your might. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to see you revealed in the Holy Word that we might know you better, that we'd be more in love with you, that, Lord, each one reaching one, telling people about you, wouldn't it be a chore? It would just be the natural outflow of our love life with you, Lord. So, Jesus, set us on fire this morning. Save people purify your church, do a wonderful work in our midst for your glory and for your name. Amen. So this event that we read of the triumphal entry, which we celebrate today on the church calendar, we often call it Palm Sunday. The reason we call it Palm Sunday is because in verse 8 it says that they were cutting the leaves off the trees or the branches rather off the trees and they were waving them and we're told in John 12:13 that those branches were palm fronds. 
And so they're waving these palm fronds. Now, you've got to understand that palm fronds in Israel at this moment of history were a symbol of freedom. Palm fronds were a symbol of freedom at this time. They began to be a symbol of freedom a couple hundred years earlier during the Maccabean Revolt. Um, They minted Jewish coins with palm fronds on them. I mean, it was really the symbol of national identity, sovereignty, and freedom. But now there's a problem with them waving these palm fronds on this day because Israel was not free at this moment in history. You remember that they were in subjection to the Roman Empire. They were occupied by the Romans. And they weren't a free nation. And so it was very profound in many ways when they picked up these, these, uh, I can't say this word, uh, palm fronds and, and begin to wave them on this day. You know, it would be the equivalent of us on the 4th of July waving the American flag. Now imagine that we're occupied by another country and we begin to wave the American flag on the 4th of July. That would be sending quite a message to a lot of people, wouldn't it? Well, it gets deeper than that. You must know that this day when Jesus entered Jerusalem was the beginning of the Passover week. Did you know that today on the Jewish calendar is the beginning of the Passover week? And so it was 2,000 years ago. It's the same day today. And the Passover was really a celebration of national and individual freedom for the Jew. The Passover was when they remembered that they had been delivered from the captivity of Egypt. Do you remember that back in the Old Testament? It's the whole gig in the book of Exodus. They were in slavery to Egypt for some 400 years. They began to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord heard their cries and he raised up a man. His name was Mo. And he sent him before the Pharaoh. And he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. And then the Lord sent the plagues upon Egypt. And you remember it was plague after plague. And the final plague was that the Lord would take the firstborn of every home in Egypt. But He told the Jews who were there in that land in subjection to them, He said, you Jews, you take a lamb, a little spotless lamb, and you slaughter it at the door in front of your house. And you place the blood on the door lintel, here on the top and then on the sides. It's a picture of a cross. You put the blood there. And when I send the angel of the death to take the angel of death to take the firstborn of the Egyptians, he will see the blood of the lamb upon your home and you will be passed over. And so that was the plague that broke the uh, camel's back, so to speak, for Pharaoh. And he finally let them go. But the story doesn't end there. God is so good. God is so faithful. They came out of uh, Egypt and they were uh, leaving and, and Pharaoh began to pursue them. And in the pursuit, they, they came to the Red Sea, you remember the story. And to the front of them was the Red Sea, and to the back of them was Pharaoh and all his chariots in hot pursuit. And they said, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, Moses, raise your staff. And the Lord parted the Red Sea that day. He brought them through, and once Israel went through, he closed it up, and he drowned the, all the chariots of Pharaoh. And then they began to wander through the wilderness, and God was absolutely faithful and gave them the manna when they were hungry and water when they were thirsty and the law when they needed it. And he brought them into the promised land in freedom. And so this week in Israel is very big, the Passover week. It's a very holy week, and they celebrate and they remember the faithfulness of their God, and He delivered them with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. And they were celebrating it on this occasion when the Lord entered in. 
And we know from the Old Testament scriptures that every Jewish male, age 18 and older, was required to be in Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. And of course, they would take their families with them. And so the the population of Jerusalem at the time Jesus entered in here triumphantly swelled enormously. There were several hundred thousand people, Josephus says in historical writings, up to two million people even in Jerusalem during the Passover season. And in the center of focus would have been the Temple Mount, right? The Temple Mount, where all the celebrations and the sacrifices and the worship would go down. And the day that Jesus entered in on a Sunday was a unique day for the Passover celebration. The head of every Jewish home would be choosing a lamb for his home. A lamb that at the end of the week would be a sacrifice to commemorate the Passover and that they are brought out from Egypt by the blood of the lamb. And so the father would go to his flock and he would find the best lamb. It was just at the ripest age, about a year old. And we know from the Old Testament scriptures it had to be spotless and pure and blameless and without blemish and without infirmity. And so he'd find the very best lamb and he would do an interesting thing. Now he'd select that as a Passover lamb and then he'd bring it into the home for the duration of the week. Now at the end of the week it was going to be sacrificed. The father brought it into the home because he had to observe the lamb for the duration of the week to make sure that it was without infirmity and without fault and that it was a perfect lamb worthy of a sacrifice for the Lord. But for the little kids in the home, it would serve a different thing, wouldn't it? For the little kids in the home, they would just see this fluffy little cute lammy and they would just fall in love with the thing over the duration of the week. You know, my daughter, Daisy Love, she's 20 months old and one of the favorite possessions she's ever had is a little lammy, not a real one, but a little stuffed one that someone gave her. And she loved little lammy. You know how lamb fur is all soft and neat and she was always crying out for lammy, lammy, lammy. I mean, there's something about lambs that kids just dig. And so Pops brings the lamb into the house, and during the week, the kids would fall in love with this little thing during this observation period. And they would see that it was sweet and gentle and meek and humble and innocent as could be in its little white wool. Now, that was a Passover lamb that every Jewish home was selecting. On the same day, Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the head of the household, God the Father, is presenting the lamb that he has selected for the nation of Israel. Remember John the Baptist, when he spotted Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on this day, it is God the Father saying, This is the lamb of my choosing. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac. Well, the Lord spared him from it, of course. But the Lord said, Abraham, take Isaac up on Mount Moriah which later in history became the Temple Mount. And he took him up there. And you'll remember that just before he sacrificed him, the angel of the Lord said, Stop! The Lord knows now that your heart is for him. And the Lord will provide himself a lamb. But if you read very carefully there in the Old Testament, the Lord provided that day a ram. It was a ram and his horns were stuck in the thicket. And that was a sacrifice for Abraham that day. The Lord didn't say he'd provide a ram. The Lord said he'd bring a lamb. And several thousand years later, April 30, uh, uh, in the year 32 AD, in the month of April, the Lord provided the lamb of God, the lamb of his choosing. In the Hebrew, it's very clear. The Lord will provide himself the lamb. God draped himself in humanity 
humbled himself to the point of obedience, even death upon a cross. The Father in the triumphal entry, this day that we celebrate today, is presenting the Lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And there would come the observation period when he taught in the temple for those four days before he was crucified, where all Israel could see, well, Jesus is so humble. He's so innocent. He's so wonderful. He's so kind. He's so meek. He's so perfect. He's innocent and holy and undefiled and separate from sinners. And when that Friday came, the father would pull out that lamb that he had chosen in the home and he'd take it to the door of the house and he'd slit its throat right there. And the kids would go. Why did that little lamb have to die, Dad? That Jewish father would say, Son, that's the price of our freedom. You see, freedom from slavery doesn't come free. And on that same Friday, Jesus Christ would be crucified by the Father outside the walls of the city, at the door of the house, so to speak. In a very busy intersection, the whole world would look on and say, why did that precious lamb have to die? He was holy and separate and undefiled and perfect in every way. Why did Jesus have to die? And the Lord says to us today, my son, that is a price for your freedom from slavery. You see, our salvation comes at a price, church. His name is Jesus Christ. And when they picked up those pond fronds those day, that day, and they begin to wave those, and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save now. They're claiming, they're singing, they're yelling, save now, save now. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. Every rabbi in Israel knew it to be a messianic psalm that would be sang when the Messiah came. And that day they sang it on the Mount of Olives and they could hear it across the Kidron Valley on the Temple Mount and all the attention on the Temple Mount would have been turned over to the Mount of Olives as Jesus came. The emperor, the emperor, the emperor. They took off their clothes and they laid him in front of the donkey. We know from history and we know from the book of Kings that they did that for loyalty. They would take off their clothes and lay it down and the king would walk on it. He came as the Lamb of God. He came as the king of Israel and of the world. He came as a, he came as a conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. But he came lowly and humble and seated on a little donkey. Wouldn't you think that the king would come on a stallion? Wouldn't you think that when a king comes, he comes on a big, gnarly, white stallion that rears up on his hind legs and goes, and fire coming out his eyes and smoke out his nose? Well, bring to your mind now the second coming of Jesus Christ. Bring to your mind the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19 that when he comes again, he will come on a white horse. And there will be a name written on his thigh, which is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will tread the fierce winepress of the fierce wrath and anger of God. And on that day, everybody will know who the King is. Amen. And so this day, it was the presenting of the Lamb that God chose. And it was the entering of the King. And it is termed in history, the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry, though it was lowly and meek and seated on a donkey, it was yet triumphal. Why? Because the entry into Jerusalem would end with the cross just outside of Jerusalem. 
And so it's very important that on this Palm Sunday we would remember the victory, the triumph of the cross. Now, what did Jesus triumph over upon the cross? Namely, three things this morning. Satan, sin, and death. Jesus conquered upon the cross, Satan, sin, and death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 reads like this. Since the children share in flesh and blood, speaking of you and I, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We'll address death in a moment, but I want you to see right there that it says very clearly in the Bible, the Word of God, he might render powerless the devil. On the cross, Jesus rendered the devil powerless. He disarmed him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, speaking of demonic powers and principalities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, how did he disarm Satan on the work of the cross? The two previous verses in Colossians, Colossians 2, 13 through 14, tell us very clearly. It says, and when you were dead in your transgressions, he, that is Jesus, made you alive, or that is God, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, what Jesus Christ did upon the cross was he nailed your sin and my sin. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might be made the Righteousness of God. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was my sin and it was your sin being nailed to the cross. I've got good news and bad news this morning. The bad news is that God keeps very meticulous records. The Bible is very clear about that. And there is the record in heaven of every sin we have ever committed. Every person in humanity, everyone who's ever born or will be born, there is a record in heaven of their sin. And the final judgment in the book of Revelation will be based upon those records. It says that the books will be opened before the great white throne for the day of judgment. And they will be judged according to that which is written in the book. Now there is a page for Brit Merrick in that book and there is a page for you in that book. And what Jesus Christ did upon the cross is He nailed your page to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Notice that it was full of decrees which were hostile to us. They were hostile to us because they were a list of our sins. And what those sins effectively did was put us in the camp of the enemy. They put us in the camp of Satan. There was no death prior to the fall of man in the garden. And when man surrendered and fell to the wiles of the devil, then death entered in, and death through sin, and so death to humanity. But when our sins are nailed to the cross, it means that Satan no longer has anything on you. You understand what I mean? You've got to see the picture. In those days when someone was imprisoned, they would nail a certificate of debt to the prison door. And it would have a list of their offenses and how long they were to be there, a list of their offenses. And so if anybody came by and said, well, why is this guy in jail? They could just look and read and go, oh, wow, okay, I see why. 
But then when he served his time and he got out, they would write across it, paid in full. Or in Greek, tetelestai. And then they would give that little certificate of debt to that guy and he could walk around. Somebody said, hey, you're supposed to be in jail. He'd pull it out and go, uh-uh, paid in full. I've done my time. It's been canceled out. Tetelestai. It is finished, paid in full. Now Jesus, in John chapter 19, before he gave up the ghost, what did he say? He said, Tetelestai paid in full. And that certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. And those decrees were paid for, which were hostile against us, once and for all. Every sin you've ever committed or will commit was dealt with at the cross. Jesus paid the price for it in totality. And so, amen. And so in that, he rendered the devil powerless. He disarmed him, you understand. Through our forgiveness, Satan is rendered powerless. Now stick with me. The second thing that he defeated upon the cross, or the second part of of the triumph, is the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. says, Our old self was crucified with him. So not only... um, the certificate of debt, but our old self was also crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with that fleshly nature. The Christian knows what I'm talking about. That old nature, that old man, that old woman, the flesh, the sinful nature. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were free from the power of sin. You see, we celebrate today Palm Sunday because the devil has been rendered powerless. We celebrate today Palm Sunday because we have been freed from the power of sin. The power of sin was broken upon the cross by Jesus Christ because that old man that is so susceptible to sin, that fallen, fleshly, sinful nature was dealt with upon the cross. And so now remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 now. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become brand new. Now, I love burritos. More than just about anything in the world, I love a good burrito. And I'm going to eat burritos whenever. You give me one right now, I'll do it between sentences, whatever. I'll eat burritos forever. But when I die, you see... It doesn't appeal to me anymore. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's very elementary. When I'm dead, the burritos don't do it for me anymore. Now they have power over me. I mean, I smell the carne asada and I see the guacamole and the queso and the crema and the frijoles inside the tortilla and there's power in that burrito. But, amen, amen. But when I die, there's no power in that burrito anymore. You understand? And so it is with the old sinful nature. It's been nailed to the cross. Appropriate that in your life, Christian. It has been nailed to the cross, and so sin no longer has power over it. If you have died with Christ, then you are free from the power of sin. The power of sin was broken at the cross of Jesus Christ because the old man, that old nature, was nailed to the cross with Him. Now the third thing that Jesus conquered was death. He conquered death. 
Read with me 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. It says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. That, that's speaking about when we see the Lord face to face. The perishable is this body, this mortal body. Can anybody testify that it's perishable? It's like cheese, man. You leave it out long enough, it's going to get nasty. That's what the human body is like. But when we go to heaven, it becomes imperishable. It's a new body. Amen. Praise the Lord. So when this perishable is put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, until you become a Christian, until the cross of Jesus Christ is manifest in your life, there is a certain power in death. Every person fears death because there is placed within every person by the sovereign God the certainty of judgment after death. Every person knows in their heart of heart that they will be judged for the wrong things. Sin, let's call it what it is, that they have done in this lifetime. Now, humanity comes up with all sorts of inventions to try to pretend like it's not real. I mean, reincarnation and everything and karma, you just kind of work it off. Hey, dude, if I had to work off my bad stuff, I would never do it. And reincarnation, you know what I mean? The dolphins going by, those are my ancestors and, and all this trash. And I was just recently in Hawaii and over there, the, the locals think that the sea turtles and the sharks are their ancestors. Oh, there goes Grandma Betty. Oh, hi, Grandma. I mean, it's just stupid. It's stupid. It's incredible what people will believe once they reject the truth. And we're told in the book of John, chapter 16, that the Father sends the Holy Spirit into the world to convict or convince the world concerning righteousness, sin, and judgment. And so it's the job of the Holy Spirit, and He does His job, to convince everybody in the world that there is a judgment and a righteous standard, and they have fallen short of it and therefore sinned. And so there is within every person... The fear of death because there is the certainty they know of judgment before a righteous God. Try to run, try to hide, try to lie. It's a reality and you know it. And that's, that's the, the, the sting of death. But you see, Jesus Christ conquered death upon the cross and namely really on Easter when he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, the final blow was dealt to death. And so when we get to heaven and we see the Lord face to face and we've got this brand new body and we're in glory and there's the king of glory, we will say together, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? You see, everything that messes with humanity, Satan, sin, and death was dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why it is the triumphal entry. It may have been in some little town a couple thousands of years ago. It may have been on some little hill named the Mount of Olives up to some other little hill named Mount Zion. It may have been in a donkey with just a few disciples yelling Hosanna. But it was a triumphal entry and it has power in our lives today. He triumphed over Satan, sin, and death. And now let me speak to you, Christian. Because that is the truth of the cross. 
There ought to be in the life of every Christian victory and freedom. There ought to be victory and freedom in the life of every Christian. There ought to be victory and freedom in the life of, Christi- of every Christian. Well, in what areas, Pastor Britt? In every area. In how many? How far? How much? Totally. I mean, the cross is not a halfway gig. He's a mighty God. The blood of Jesus is precious. We have been not bought with perishable things like gold and silver, the book of Peter says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. And so there ought to be in our lives victory through Jesus Christ and freedom from the power of sin. And any degree that is lacking, Christian, I'll just be honest with you today, it's really your choice. You see, because Satan has been rendered powerless, because he's a defeated foe, doesn't mean he stops trying. Huh, anybody testify? He doesn't stop trying. He's a persistent, importuned little bugger. Always tempting the Christian. But the book of James chapter 1 says, if you fall into sin, you were enticed by your own lust. Yes, the devil tempts you. But you chose to sin. How much will you sin as a Christian? As much as you want. That's how much you'll sin. How much will you sin as a Christian? As much as you choose to do. Because according to the Bible, and I'm just going to go ahead and believe it, according to the Bible, the power of sin has been broken. According to the Bible, the devil's been rendered powerless. He's been disarmed, made a public spectacle, had the back of his neck stood on before the armies of the living God and his face rubbed into the dirt. That's what it means to be made a public spectacle of. And so, you know, the devil can only really gain any ground in your life that you surrender to him. Just what you give up to him. He is an opportunist, you must understand. You give an opportunity, oh boy, he'll take it. He is a squatter, you understand. You give him some ground or a place and he'll grab it. He is a scrounge, you understand. You give him some corner of your life and he'll go ahead and nibble on it. But if you say no, promise of the Bible is resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the word of God, man. Promise of the Bible is be strong in the strength and in the might of the Lord. Stand firm, therefore, hold up the shield of faith with which we could extinguish all the fiery missiles of the evil one. It doesn't mean we're going to be free from temptation. That won't happen until we see Jesus. But he doesn't have any power over us anymore because your old man was nailed to the cross. That burrito, it's not, he's, no, he ain't tripping. Free from that. But Christian, are you walking this morning? In victory and in freedom. Are you walking in victory and in freedom? If not, you, you, you've got to take stock of your life. If there's an area that you're just struggling and you're not able to get that victory, I believe the Lord would give you victory today. I believe He would at least bring some leaps and bounds into the situation, you know what I'm saying. I mean, the Lord wants a clean house because after the triumphal entry onto the Temple Mount, then came the cleansing thereof. Look at verse 12 of our text. Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now, we dealt with this text somewhat extensively a few weeks ago. Suffice to say for this morning that it means this. 
after Jesus entered onto the Temple Mount, after he made his triumphal entry into the house, he cleansed the house. After he enters into your life, then comes the cleansing of your life. Can anybody testify this morning that the Lord loves you? But can anybody else testify this morning that the Lord loves you too much to leave you that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? First comes the triumphal entry, and then comes the house cleaning. He overturned that in the temple which should not have been there, that which was perverted, that which was maligned, that which was wrong, that which was incorrect, that which needed to go. The Lord overturned it and tossed it out. And so the Lord is wanting to do in our lives, Christian. It's called sanctification. That's a theological phraseology. Sanctification, very simply, it means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. Now, there's two phases or or two stages or two parts to sanctification. One is instantaneous. One is a process. The moment you become a Christian, I mean this. You come before God in sincerity of heart, meaning it. And you say, God, I'm a sinner. I repent from my sins. Jesus, you are the Savior. You died on the cross that I might be forgiven. Lord, I ask you to save me and forgive me. The moment you do that, you are sanctified. You are washed. You are cleansed. In fact, you're made a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And, and so you're sanctified. You're set apart. You become a child of God. You're delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. You're set apart. You're His. It's instantaneous. And in his eyes now, you're totally clean, man. I mean, trip out. In his eyes, you're totally clean because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice, because you see the blood covered up the certificate of debt, didn't it? I mean, if it got nailed to the cross with Jesus, I'm telling you, watch the movie, it got bloody. The blood just covered up everything that was written on that, every decree that was hostile against us, the blood just covers it. And so when the Lord looks at you, it's through the lens of the blood of the Lamb. And He says, oh, you're clean. But then He takes us through the second part, the process of sanctification. Because it's positionally that we're sanctified in an instant, but then it's practically that we are sanctified throughout our life. Meaning that we have to learn obedience. Meaning that He deals with sin in our lives. He does some overturning, some casting out, some churning up, you understand. And the Lord is just so nice. He's so graceful and kind, you know. He's got a, he's got a Father's heart. And aren't you glad that, that it all doesn't happen at once? I mean, can you imagine when you got saved, if the Lord revealed to you back then all the sin in your life? You'd die, wouldn't you? I mean, if he showed you the depth of your sin, you'd be dead. But the Lord is so kind that he just shows us, you know, you know, a little bit. He can do it slowly because he's already made you positionally white as snow. He's already put you in his kingdom. He's already made you his child. He's already done it positionally. And so now he could work with us kindly and slowly, practically. And, and so he begins that process and he doesn't give it to you all at once, you know, um, we were just uh, on family vacation, and I, I taught my little son, Isaiah, he's five, how to surf on family vacation. And he did pretty good. I think we have a picture. 
<laughs> there he is surfing for the first time. And, uh, you know, he's, he did pretty good. And uh, I've been surfing for a lot of years. I've been surfing my whole life as long as I could remember. And so I know a few things about surfing. Now, can you imagine if the very first time that I took him out and pushed him into a wave, if I then chased him down on the beach and grabbed him and told him the 396 things that he didn't do right, he would never want to surf again. He would be heartbroken. He would be crushed. He would be destroyed. He would say, well, then how can I do it? What's the hope? He would never want to surf again. I didn't do that. I said, son, you did awesome. Son, you did wonderful. You did so good. I am so proud of you. You're doing so great, son. That was incredible. Now, move your legs a a little more like this. You see how he's a little bit like this? So I I just took him step by step and said, okay, now, son, now you want to turn a little bit like this and, and kind of stand that way. Just step by step taking him through it. And so the Lord does with you. I mean, he's the perfect father. He's so kind and he just shows you a little bit and he says, good job, son, good job. And you think, yeah, I've arrived, man. And he goes, well, there's this one little thing over here. And then that gets overturned and, oh, I'm the gnarliest Christian. Wow, yeah. Yeah, son. Look at this. You see, after the entry, which is totally triumphant, the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ in your life, after the entry comes the cleansing. And what you just want to be real mindful of as we think about Palm Sunday is just letting the Lord do everything He wants to do in that cleansing process. Just not holding back from Him a single degree. I mean, Christian, are, are you walking in victory? Are you walking in victory? If there's in any area that's just over and over just defeat for you, the Lord has more for you. The cross is more powerful. The Spirit of God is more able. There's more for you. You don't have to live in defeat if you're a Christian this morning. You can live in victory. Are are you free? Or do you feel that something's just got a hook in your flesh? You know what I'm talking about? It's just got a hook in your flesh. And every time you start to think you get free, you walk away and just goes... And pulls you back a little. And in a moment of sobriety, you're like, Lord, this thing's it's got a hook in me, Lord. I, this thing's got me and I, I don't feel like I could get free. You know what? You need to wave the palm frond. You need to wave that declaration of freedom and just proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ over that gig, man. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Not a little bit not only mostly free, he is free indeed. This morning I was driving here at 5 a.m. Staff gets here pretty early on a Sunday. And I was over by McDonald's coming over the freeway from my house. And I was just praying and and just talking to the Lord. And he showed me a sin. He showed me a hook in my flesh. He just showed it to me in that instant. He just went, son. I just went, oh. I said, dad, I don't want that. Lord, I, I don't. I don't want that. And he said, be free. I set you free, kid. Walk in freedom. Don't do it. (laughs) What a revolution. You mean I don't have to do it? No, you don't have to do it, son. You will sin as much as you want to sin. 
Wow, Lord, thanks. I'm not going to do it anymore. Isn't the Lord wonderful? Are you walking in freedom this morning, Christian? Maybe you need to cry Hosanna like they cried that day. Save now. Maybe it's just deep for you and it's tumultuous and it's gnarly and it's scary. And this morning you've got to come and get on your face on that carpet and yell, Hosanna, Lord, save now. It's too much. It's too gnarly. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm breaking under this burden. Hosanna, save now, Lord. He's faithful to do it. Maybe there's something that's just got to be overturned. He's in the house, but he wants to cleanse. And, you know, it's not enough. It's just, it just, it's, it's, it's got to get out. It's got to be overturned. It's time to be free. It's time to be done with it. In the name of Jesus, today's your day. Maybe there's some garment that needs to be laid down so that the king could enter in. Do you know what I'm talking about? They threw down their garments so that the king might enter into Jerusalem. Maybe there's some garment, some facade, some falsehood, some clothing of pride. And it's just got to be ripped off and thrown down at the feet of the king this morning. Just let him trample on it. Maybe for you, you just need a little more time observing the lamb. You know, they observed the lamb those four days in their households. And it was so profound when that lamb was slaughtered on that Friday. They had a real sense of the value of the sacrifice and the cost of their freedom. Maybe you just need a little more time in your life observing the Lamb, looking at Jesus, talking to Jesus, learning about Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. I'm sure that as you draw near to the Lamb, you're going to fall in love with Him. I mean, you're going to be nutso about the Lamb. You're going to fall in love. You're going to see the value of His sacrifice. And sin is going to seem a little less attractive to you. I mean, in the glory of the Lord, sin just pales in comparison. If you're not near to the Lamb, boy, it looks attractive. You get into the light of the world and you get blinded by His presence and sin, it just just starts to lose it. Is there some business you need to do with the Lord this morning? This is your time. This is your place. Lord, thank You for Your triumphal entry. Thank You, Lord, for the victory of the cross. I would ask now on behalf of this congregation the Holy Spirit, you would manifest every benefit of the cross in this place. That we would experience the fullness of your victory here. The fullness of freedom in this place. That freedom would reign in here this morning, Lord. Pray for those that don't know you. That they would simply come to that place of saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. You've got to save me. The quietness of their hearts as they do that, that you'd save people, Lord, and you'd overwhelm them with your love and your grace and your kindness. That you'd give them such a sense of being washed and cleansed and loved. And for those of us that know you, Lord, draw us to our knees and then to our faces. We want to lay down the garments. We want to overturn the tables. We want to cry out, Hosanna, save now. We want to repent, Lord. We want to see you, the precious lamb, in our midst. And so, Lord, teach us as individuals right now to do business. As we begin to worship and praise the Lord, the prayer team will be up here. If you need help with a thing, anything, come and get prayer. You need to be set free from something, come and get, come and get prayed for. Maybe you need to throw that old garment down and come get on your face before the Lord right here. Kneel before his majesty. Communion is here. 
Don't waste the next 20 minutes. This season of Easter and Passover, we've been given so much in the cross. Let's appropriate every benefit of it into our lives right now.